Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Now this is the latest in our BossCast series and it's an absolute and utter privilege to be joined by Brian Bickle, who is the Chief Executive of Shaftesbury. And Brian, you're celebrating a bit of a milestone later this year, aren't you? Uh, well, I suppose you could say 35 years at the same company is a bit of a milestone, yes, for a job that I've probably thought at the outset would last about six months. It sort of got slightly out of hand, really, but it's yes. been quite a journey. Lost, lost control of, of Tiger, but you're looking very well. You're looking like you've caught the sun, looking like you, you know, you've, you've obviously been out taking in, you know, some of the, some of the nice warm air in, in London's West End over the last couple of weeks. Well, you know, it's not been all bad, I suppose, but um, I suppose I always think I'm a bit like a Shaftesbury building, really, sort of quite old on the inside, but well-maintained on the outside, and it convinces people you're not quite as old as you think you are. Well, no, that's, it, it's fascinating. So, uh, obviously, it's been a, a rather challenging 12 or 13 months for you and, and everybody else, not just in the West End, but but in, in, in the wider real estate world, in the wider economy, in the wider real world, let's be honest about this. Um, what, what I don't want to dwell too much on on, on what's been happening because it, it's been discussed a lot. You've been talking about it loads and anyone that's listening to this will, will kind of know what's been happening. I'm interested really in where we go next. And clearly there has been a seismic shift in all sorts of areas, in all sorts of ways. But but how do you plan right now for, for, for what's coming ahead, given given how much you, you rely on tourism, given how much you rely on discretionary spending for for the portfolio? Because uh, you know, a good half of your portfolio is, is retail pretty much. But over the last 15 years, the balance has switched more to F&B. We used to have 45% of our income from retail. That's down to 30% now. And, uh, F&B has crept up from sort of mid-20s to nearly 40%. So there's been a rebalancing there. And how are you looking to support tenants over the next few months? Because the big thing throughout this has been this combustion of the landlord-tenant relationship, which some could say has been brewing for years. And and, it, and it's played out in a pretty negative fashion, hasn't it? Not, not helped by the government's approach on, on on its rent moratorium, not helped by some of the, the, the slight nastiness from a number of large chains just deciding they're not going to pay rent despite still operating. How have you navigated through that? And, and where do you see things landing? Well, I suppose our starting point was probably different from other people's. We've, we've always had this sort of simple mantra is that with so many, we have over 600 shops and restaurants and bars, cafes, whatever. You know, in a, in a way, if they're not making money, we're not going to prosper either. So we've always seen it as more of a, a partnership. You know, we can deliver the public realm and the buildings. They've got to create the buzz and in, the excitement in these envelopes of space. That's what we're dealing with, really. Now, with the best will in the world, you know, I wouldn't trust a bunch of property and financial people to create exciting experience inside buildings. But, you know, we need to engage with those people who can do that and do do that very successfully to create the ambience around the state. We've always, just we've always looked at it more of a partnership. And sort of going back, I can tell you when I started in real estate, which is more than 35 years ago, I think it's 38 years now, uh, I worked, went to work for a company called Stock Conversion, a great post-war development company, but sort of a bit fuddy-duddy and past, uh, probably past its best, really. 
But I'd been there, I went as the group accountant, as a young whippersnapper. And the finance director took me aside one day and he said, Mr. Bickle, you have to remember you're in property now, not trade. So this is a real Downton Abbey view of the world, that property people own the land, they collect the rent, they don't really care what their tenants get up to. And if that tenant, you know, if that's not the tenant they want, they, they'll move them on. And, you know, there wasn't that sort of engagement, really. They didn't see property as a service. And that, it, but that's where we've come to. And I think that's where the whole sector needs to come to. We shouldn't be so grand about ourselves. Yes, we do own the buildings, but we're providing the service of space and we have customers, not tenants. In terms of how this blip let's call it a blip compares to previous downturns what what have been some of the what have been some of the things that we've learned from previous recessions that that you've used here that 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 have helped you through the last year and what stuff do you think we still haven't learned i think this has been you know for all my working life the most unusual of all the events that have um, we've had to deal with Simply because certainly in the West End, whilst there have been financial crises and they do sort of come and go like number nine buses, you know, it's not always plain sailing. Um, this has been a real operational crisis. The West End has never been shut down. I don't believe it was actually shut down during the Second World War. I hastened to add it wasn't around then, but I didn't have a sense that they've had the restrictions that we've had to deal with over the last 12 months. It is completely off the scale of um, unprecedented, really. And, so and it, I, I think now we're, this is a knock to confidence, really, the thing that nobody, the black swan that nobody ever really talked about. You know, we talk about terrorism, stuff like that. But the sense that a whole whole cities could be closed down in this way wasn't on anybody's agenda. What what have been some of the 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 highlights of the response? So some of those those fun moments, the 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 human moments that that have occurred. Well, I suppose in a way that at the moment we're still a bit too close to all of this and I think we don't quite subscribe to the view that, you know, three days into the beginning of the end of lockdown and all is going to be fine for the rest of our lives. We think that this, you know, there's no, we were not as certain that it's going to be as a sort of linear return progression to where we want to be. Are the good things come out of this? Well, I think I suppose they always are, and I can look back and say we've had you know difficult financial crises around us corporately uh, that seem sort of insurmountable at the time. But these things do pass, and you do find a way through, and you do learn from it. And I think you know we will all learn from this. And you know certainly I know the Shaftesbury team are thinking long and hard, probably trying to do it before we get back into the office and back to a sort of routine about what we have learned from it, what's worked, what hasn't, what's been resilient. You know, how do we need to change our ways? Things work perfectly well in a very predictable, sort of West End-type predictable environment. You know, we shouldn't assume we're just going to slip back into that within a couple of months. You know, and, and when you think about that wider West End environment, what, what, what needs to change there? Because I think Carnaby Street... Chinatown, Covington, that they're relatively well-defined, well-contained places. But but let's be frank, Oxford Street has been on the decline for years and it's not going in the right direction. What what needs to happen there? I mean, is it just a big CPO operation that needs to just take control of everything and sort it out? I mean, surely something radical and drastic needs to happen. Well, I think it's... It, it, it's got to find a, a different purpose, really, and attract different sorts of occupiers. I mean, it's, it's you know, what it was, was its great advantage, really big buildings. A lot of them are very office-dominated, if you look at them down the street. How do you repurpose these lower floors in buildings where perhaps the value, a lot of the value is on the upper floors? 
It's quite challenging uh, finding alternative uses for you know redundant department stores. Well, quite frankly, department stores have been going bust all my life. I can these remembers the things I used to see as a kid. They've all fallen away now. We're probably down to last man standing of John Lewis and Selfridges when it comes to Oxford Street. But I think you will see other the space needs to be all changed because people retailers do not want big space anymore. They don't need it. But it's what you do with the rest of it. But how you sort of bring that buzz back to to Oxford Street and the surrounding streets. So the City Council have got some good ideas. There's some investment going. And at the end of the day, it'll be the private sector and those creative people that you need to turn up there to create something a bit different. But I think that we're seeing, certainly Westminster Council, uh, you know, an acceptance that the life is changing very quickly. They're very committed to the West End. Um, some of the things that, you know, they wouldn't Could have Could they be more helpful in certain areas? Are there areas where Westminster, you'd like Westminster to be a bit more flexible, be a bit more responsive? I think they're understanding that now. They've realised that this is a sort of once-in-a-lifetime event for the West End. It's going to need some help getting it back onto its feet. And whilst they may have had a set view about what certain streets should have been in certain areas, I think they now accept that there's got to be more flexibility. Uh, there's got to be more working together with the industry um, you know, we're partners in all of this to try and create the sort of environment people are looking for when they come into the West End. Uh, but they look- push the boat out with things like the Alfresco scheme. You know, it's not popular with some residents, but it's bringing life and activity back. And that but that's was- astonishing, isn't it? Because, I mean, let's be honest, why the hell would you live in Soho if you didn't expect to see loads of, you know, loads of noise, people partying and getting drunk and going to clubs? That That's... That's what Soho is. I mean, you don't move to Soho to have a quiet existence with a bunch of ducks in the pond and country walks, do you? Well, Andrew, I think a lot of people in Soho would enjoy having that conversation with you. Uh, oh, well, we'll bring them on. We should, we should have invited some of them this morning. We should have been yeah. a bit more lively. Yeah. People uh, have their lively own views about what thing, things should and shouldn't be. But you have to respect people who live there. Nobody wants it to turn into some massive you know, alcohol-driven no, free-for-all. I guess it's a bit like my old job at Heathrow where, you know, I used to say sometimes to people often quite privately, look, the airport was here first, guys. And I think it's the same in in, in, in Carnaby Street. It's the same in... in I'm, I'm the same. I, I've chosen to live in Maryland because all for all the things that West End offers me on the doorstep, it's the most fantastic place to live. You know, they'll be carrying me out of there. And I, I, I've just hated the last... 13 months or however long to see the streets so desolate and so devoid of life and activity and all the things you love doing like the shops and restaurants and the culture attractions just shut down and you know you do worry how they're going to come back well I think they will come back over time but so we're not as far as we assume it's going to be like a light bulb moment and you know it'll be all over by Christmas sort of thing Mm. there will be some long-term scarring here but there are positives and you know we've seen the alfresco dining scheme can work um, we've tried to explain to the city council that if people know it can be have a bit more longevity, people will invest to make it a better experience and manage it properly. You know, the public realm isn't probably ideal for some of the things that you would see in a continental city. We need to do a bit bit of catching up. And again, we're, you're seeing less dominance of the car. We've had that with us for a long, long time. If you make the city more human, I think it's going to benefit everybody. Mm. And probably quite in a minute, quite good for 
for shops selling thick coats and gloves. Well, it's a bit parky at the moment. You know, we'll be, too, we'll be complaining it's too hot in a couple of months' time. Absolutely. But I think a human city is probably what people are looking now. I just, you know, am I any great generational expert? No. But I do think there's an authenticity and a history about cities and a human scale that I think perhaps people are coming back to and appreciate. And that may be where we end up. And that may be a sort of guide to where... Uh, places like Oxford Street could go where we're going to see different uses that have disappeared coming back into the West End the nightclubs the live music venues things like that um, it's, well, it's where, where, itself. and what, what needs to happen there because you know, speaking as somebody that has frequented Soho many many times and I'm trying to think you wouldn't various... have been annoying the neighbours there oh, yeah, I, I, would have been. I, I, used to, I had a club night that we ran in Wardle Street a long long time ago yeah we obviously we had loads of complaints um, but it has been drilled out of the area over the last 10-15 years a lot of residential conversions a lot of rows over licensing and thinking about Oxford Street some would argue that, that one of the problems there is that it has become a bit too shiny it's become a bit too new it's, it's lost a bit of the grit it's lost a bit of the the sex and the sass and the filth that that defined what people think of you don't want to sanitize the environment i agree and it's become very i suppose global brand dominated and repeat shops all the way down the streets which you know perhaps how many, yeah how many primarks do we need in one square mile of oh, real estate couldn't possibly answer that so <laughs> we, we try to, to avoid the repeats at shaftesbury believe me and we always try and keep each of our areas feel, looking and feeling different. You know, there's, it's a bit like manufacturing cars. A lot of the sort of mechanics behind it, the nuts and bolts, is similar across the villages. But when people come, they want to find something different. That's the whole point of coming to the West End. You know, if you want a Westfield experience, go to Westfield. If you want something a bit different, that's what the West End needs to provide. And mm. I think perhaps Oxford Street has sort of slightly lost its way there, really, because it's trying to compete with something that actually you don't need to flog all the way into the West End for. It's available everywhere now. That's probably what has changed over the last 20 or geez. These brands and retail formats have popped up everywhere. So what, what needs to happen to, to bring back some of these clubs, so the comedy clubs, the basement drinking dens, the the, the the you know supporting some more jam and jazz is on the rise at the minute. Ronnie's is clinging on, but... I think landlords need to be, are going to have to be, well, they're going to have to be a little bit more uh, risk averse, I think, or sorry, risking, risk embracing, because we do that. We try new things at Shaftesbury. You know, people come to us with a good idea. We're not obsessed with a balance sheet or whatever. Our view is let's, this looks like it's going to be good. We'll give it a try. We'll support them. But be realistic as well. Not everything you, you try is going to work. You know, we always accept the, I encourage the team not to have too many failures. But, you know, if we haven't tried things, we're not going to move on in the way that creative people are always moving on and trying things. And I think, you know, for me, re those with the retail exposure and F&B as well, they've got to be prepared to take more risk and accept that things will change more quickly. And I'd say that back to that security of long leases and reliable covenants, it's not really there anymore for these these sectors. So you've got to take more risk and be a bit more adventurous. We can do it because we do it on a scale and, you know, we have good footfall and what have you. But this is really the answer, you know, to get away from the homogenised high streets and the predictable offers. Mm. That that will get people out. And I think it'll young people will find that much more engaging. How, 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 thinking about, you were talking a bit before about collaboration with, with the council and others, how how do you collaborate with, with your partners? So the the neighbouring owners with with 
Capco, with Soho Estates, with Hal Dwarden and, and, and Grosvenor. How does that, what does that look like at the minute? And, and how, could it, how, could it, how could it be improved, do you think? There's always been an element of, uh, sort of collaboration, but I'd say it, I would say it had ramped up in the last 18 months or so, 15 months or whatever, as things have started to get more difficult. And I do think it's going to be a great advantage to the West End that there are these long-term, really large, long-term, very wealthy property ownerships across the West End, because with the best will in the world, Westminster Council is cash-strapped like all local authorities are. There are a lot of things perhaps you would like to do but can't do. So it's very it's fortunate for the West End that there are these owners like us that can step in and do things and fund things like that. Are, are you worried, well. though, that you've been seen as a bit of a cash cow? If you think about the ridiculousness of business rates, if you think about some of the threats we're now seeing about a wealth tax um, and, and other real estate taxes, did you worry that there might not be enough votes for the government or future government to lose in hammering long-term owners with penal taxes? Well, there is a risk, and there's talk about you know franchising of residential and all those sort of things. It's not quite our world, really. I think we've always been able to, for ourselves, when we put money into public realm, things, I don't know, things that are not, you think, once upon a time would never be the responsibility of a landowner or landlord. Um, we can justify that on a business case, really. There is a return for us. And if our tenants see that we're doing more than just extracting rent for them every month or every quarter, and we're actually putting something back in, I think they value that. Don't forget a lot of tenants, a lot of occupiers come to you now, have got a, a sort of sense of what's right, what businesses should be doing, a sort of social conscience. And actually, they're going to start choosing landlords that they align with. You're seeing it already in sustainability, where you know, as much as we used to cross-examine tenants about this, that, and everything else, they're now cross-examining us. What are your ESG policies? They don't want to be associated with a bad landlord, a service provider. What are you saying to people mm-hmm. on that on that yeah. level now, then? Well, we're demo- you know, we're conscious we need to do more, and like everybody does. And I think for our sustainability, you know, with the next leg of what we're going to do is be more engaged with our tenants. We've got lots of smaller businesses who you know, most of them want to do the right thing, don't have the resource or the knowledge to draw upon. We've got to educate our tenants. You know, we'd like to spend more on our buildings to make them more environmentally efficient, I'm sure, but it's the way they run their businesses that has the biggest mm. impact. That's always struck me. There's, there must be huge opportunities to reduce traffic and whether it's waste collection or deliveries and just generally being more efficient all those things that's absolutely right those are the sort of things we're talking not only to our own tenants about but our neighbors because the problem doesn't stop at the shaftesbury boundary you know absolutely crown estate on one side you're going to soho and then getting into congarden capco you know these across the area problems and a local authority that knows these problems there, but you know some of this is going to require some investment. And um, you know, I'm sure as government always does, looks to the private sector to to uh, find a solution. Mm. Where where do you see then your strategy evolving over the next few years? Because you're obviously not going to start doing a load of development anywhere. Um, and as you've said, really, there is a, a huge amount of value in recycling some of these buildings. Um, and finding new uses as they emerge. But do you, do you have a do you have an idea about the sorts of things you'd like to see? And, and also, I'm interested by 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 some of the gems over the years. What have been some of your favourite places? Mm. Well, I suppose in a way we come at it thinking, well, actually, we don't know what the future is going to be. We wake up to be surprised every day. I think it's best not to have two set set of view. 
you know, when we started off moving towards F&B and away from retail, I don't think we had any idea what was going to happen and what technology was going to do to retail and why people's habits were changing. But being on the, you know, we sort of work above the shop, really, we, we get a sense that, you know, people have got more leisure time, you know, they can shop in different ways, but actually this experience, this social experience around dining out and that sort of thing is seems to be growing in popularity with uh, people. So I think we we probably don't know. I think the most important thing is we keep challenging ourselves and we're, we're thinking about, you know, what is Shaftesbury? What could Shaftesbury in the West End look like in the next five to 10 years? But I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. But what resource do we do we need rather than being slightly, slightly obsessed with what's in front of us? And that's the short term, which has been the issue over the last 12 or 18 months. You know, how do we take that longer view and how do we make sure we keep this mindset of change? Nothing lasts forever. Mm. It doesn't sort of sit well sometimes with the, you know, how does that, how does that, how does that with, 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 obviously as a listed business, everybody obsesses about share prices. So how does that align? Yeah, I do obsess about mine as well. I wouldn't be in the job if I didn't. Uh, but I think we've demonstrated over time with this very operational approach we can produce good, steady, long-term returns. Now, what's happened in the last 12 months or so has been off the scale. It was beyond our control. But coming into that, we had a good, steady, steady, long-term approach to be income value generation. And actually, we, we don't obsess about property values. We just think we've always thought, if you get the income side of the equation right, values over time yeah. will take care of themselves. And I think that's, again, that's a slightly different way of looking at property because we're in it for the long haul. But is, if you're going to be a developer, you're, you're, be a developer, you're only in, interested in that day one income, you're probably going to flog the building on afterwards. Yeah, that, that, that's so true. That's a very different mentality of, a uh, generational sustained growth in rents, which is what we've always aimed for. Always. But is there anything you now need to do differently? Because it isn't like it was 18 months ago. No, it's not. And you could say that perhaps the resetting of some rents, or which is another way of saying rents have gone down, may open up more opportunities, more businesses, more new ideas can afford to come into the West more End. More grit and glam. Well, exactly. And they will be attracted by the footfall. Whenever, you think, mm. whenever we think about this as a team, it's all about footfall. But, not, but, but, but it's also yeah. about the history and the heritage and what these places mean. Exactly. To we've got, we've you can download an app, but can't be music. Gap. There's a hundred years of music history around Carnaby, right from the first black music club, the Rolling Stones, everything. You know, that hasn't really gone away. The creative people do like to cluster. That's why Soho's had sort of fantastic history and continues to attract creative people. We do think the clustering principle is really, uh, really important in this age where allegedly we're all, you know, joined up through technology. People still want to be together face to face and the Record shops, ideas. fashion shops, pool yeah, shops. Exactly. They all come back, really. It's all part of the mix, really. I understand you can get a lot of pornography online these days, though so that may have changed, but I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> I mean what uh, what are some of what have been some of your favourite hangouts over the years, Brian? If if you had to if you had to pick three, what would they be? Well, I think those who know me would spend, I probably spend far too much time, like, like a lot of people from the property industry in Champers Wine Bar and Kingley Street is my, my spiritual home, as it is for many people in the industry. Quite traditional, but again, I, you know, that certainly appeals to me and my friends always seem to want to go there. Um, I've enjoyed the sort of growth in the sort of, uh, sort of taps, Italian Spanish tapas and the sort of sharing idea which is not not a very English thing to do really sit around the table sharing your food with people it's not how we were brought up but it creates a great sort of social activity and a- a- atmosphere and a vibe um, I'm not a big shopper I suppose and um, perhaps a lot of the shops are not in my target market 
but I don't like a lot of people. I'm, you know, it's probably the social things in life that are more valuable. And, you know, I do, I've really missed the sort of closing down of theatres and the sort of cultural offer of the West End as well. And that is, that's one of the West End's USPs. There is nothing like it really in the rest of the world. And we do need to think about how that sector is going to come back because it's a massive uh, you know, draw of footfall to the West End. But it's a lot about what brand Britain's about. You know, we are one of the most culturally creative countries. But, and do you think do you think these guys have been left out? And we're having this discussion and the debate in a minute. The, the festival industry, music festival industry, has been calling on the government to sort out underwriting insurance for events. The theatre industry has been calling for all sorts of help and it just seems that the for relative pennies giving all of this money that we're chucking out there and a lot of it probably to organized crime allegedly the the for relatively small amounts of 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 pennies in in the in the grand scheme of things we could be losing as you say losing some of these cultural hearts of the west end and and in the country that that underpin the sort of english global offer yeah, well, we're actually very good at selling brand Britain around the world, really. We don't realise it, but it's got a lot of appeal and attraction. And it's very, I guess, it's not easy for the government to sort of, they've got loads of calls on their money. Um, and I think, once again, they'll look to the private sector to sort of step in and take the risk. But yes, it is very difficult to organise events. Now, we know we do you know, smaller events around the West End, but without the certainty of whether we're going to be in a stop-start situation again next winter, people just won't commit to it. And I'm sure you won't get any insurance for wanting to put things on next year. But I hopefully, if the government will start to turn its attention to these things now, if it accepts that confidence is probably... It's, it's easy to knock confidence and it's really hard to get it back. And that's where, that's what's going to hold us back in the next 12 months till that certainty of our futures comes back. And so the government needs to be consistent in its messaging. And there's been too much chopping and changing in the past. And it hasn't been easy for them. But, you know, a sense that we are on a, a trajectory now that won't go backwards. Mm. And what about business rates? Because again, listening to that debate and you can hear clang 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 the sound of the can being kicked down the road again and again and again what should they do well um i don't i i hear a lot of people talk about possible answers but you know there there isn't one people necessarily um can come together on it's not if you're with the government i've always the business rates is probably the easiest tax it's the easiest one to collect and the people who pay it generally well don't vote or you know directly vote no there's no votes to lose in, in no. taxing shaftesbury british land and grove of course not but but the, i but i guess the challenge there is that that 28 or 30 odd billion of tax that they, they have been collecting that's going to be going down if you've got loads of restaurant shops and other leisure operators that, that can't reopen. Well, the trouble is the way it works is they we work, get spread they across got, everybody else. It gets spread around, yeah. So somebody else pays, and poor West End will probably end up paying even more. I mean, remember Westminster collects two billion pounds of business rates and gets four percent of that back from the government. But equally, Brian, as a, as a Westminster resident, you're one of the lucky ones in paying diddly squat in. In council tax, aren't well, they? that's another issue. But you know, I'd be the first one to say that you know the you know people with bigger wealth, wealthy people with bigger houses, should pay more. I'm not going to up sticks and move from Maryland. But the trouble is, again, the government makes it difficult. They've taken away the power from local authorities just to increase council tax more than about I don't know, about five percent a year. Otherwise, it has to go to a ballot of the residents. So you know, that's a it's, it's all designed to stop. I think local authorities having money to spend. So they, 
uh, government expects them to do an awful lot of things these days. So this whole situation around local government and financing, I think, needs to be addressed. Um, yes, there's got to be some sharing of the wealth of London, but it can't be to you know to London's absolute detriment or Westminster's detriment that they generate so much but keep so little. And yes, those who can afford to pay should cough up. I have no problem with that. And, and thinking about thinking about the industry that you've worked in for so long, how has how has the industry evolved for the for the better? You've you've obviously spoken out a lot over the years on on diversity and inclusion. Um, what what needs to happen there still? Because again, it's very easy just to slap companies around the head and go, "You need to do better." But actually, there's there's a supply chain of human resources, isn't there, that, that needs to be supported and adapted. Mm. It's a generational change. I think these things don't happen overnight. You know, tomorrow's leaders are just starting work today, and you know, but we need to open up the industry to show, you know, we're terrible at explaining to people what we do and explain to young people the great careers to had in in the world of the built environment. I think they'll probably look at us and think we're all spivvy estate agents or something and we must be up to something. Well, you know, we've got to dispel that idea and say, uh, have a, a better persona, but understand that we've also got to, and it is happening, I think it's happened an awful lot over the last 10 years, accepting that we need to move away from the usual bunch of suspects that end up in this industry. So how, how did you get in? So you, you grew up in, in, in Hackney, in East London. Um, Didn't go to university, Did got my accountancy qualification straight from school. Um well, that took four or five years. I went. I stayed in the accountancy profession for a while, but 1983, I went to work for our predecessor company, Stock Conversion, which was a real estate company. I, so I knew an awful lot about it then, and out of that came uh, Shaftesbury. But I could say, I just think why I've ended up here. And when I was a kid, I really wanted to be an architect. I just, I was fascinated by buildings and space and things like that when I look back. Uh, but in those days, you had to do art A-level to go, get into architecture. And there's no way uh, the guy that could add up the numbers was ever going to be any good at art. So I went off down the, went off to be creative around numbers rather than uh, anything else. Because oh, I've ended up in the perfect place, really, because I you know, do enjoy buildings and all that goes with it. But to explain to young people, there are careers in this industry. Lots of really good careers would be great. And also, we're having to attract a lot of different skills now to make real estate work. Once upon a time, it was just a matter of surveyors and a few accountants who were there probably under a sense of necessity rather than wanting us around. It was all about the property people. We have to understand better now what our customers want. We are, you know, we're a service business. The city's still full of posh white blokes, though, isn't it? Let's be frank. Uh, It is, yes. Yeah, it's hard to break that down. And, you know, I think it's getting harder, really, uh, because, you know, you know, once upon a time, and say when I was coming through, the, if you did, it was no stigma not going to university. Well, now we make it really expensive for kids to go with no certainty of what they're going to get out of it, and, you know, than a pile of debt. And I think we've got to go back to thinking how we make that well, the ladder I had to get out of a, a different sort of background. It wasn't sort of uh, it didn't start where a lot of people started to make sure kids have got that opportunity and let them find the way through it and not be so obsessed about sort of degree level education it's um i don't think it's the answer to everything really some more vocational training yeah, yeah it was it, it's yeah it became frowned upon for a while and um you know i think we we need to turn back to that and think what do we do or you know training on the real i mean my, <laughs> when i did my accountancy exams you know it was four nights a week at night school after you've been working saturday mornings and it you gave up most of your annual holidays as well to go off and do your sort of cramming study leave before an exam 
you just sort of accepted it, really. I think we probably didn't work very hard during the day looking back. It was sort of pressure you have now. But that's what you had to do. And that, people, that was part of life in mm. those days. But I do think we need to think about how we broaden this out. And so I think a lot of people in the industry are realising this as a, a, a freehold event later on. Um, this morning we've got 250 people signed up to a webinar talking about issues around LGBT and BAME people and the way that somebody has been described as a double disadvantage in this industry. In no way should it be. You know, we must reach out to a different community of people and explain to them what we do. So we're, we're not a bad bunch really, but we do something important for society and we're going to get this right, the built environment. We need lots of different mm. voices coming into it. And I mean, finishing up then, Brian, what talking about doing the right thing, because that, that has been the source of much public debate in terms of um, tenants withholding their rents, big fashion chains not paying, big burger chains not paying, some large electrical stores not paying, warehouses. And it has become a standoff. How do we? How do we? How do we? How do we step back from from the edge? Well, it's just we, we you know we've had to give our tenants a lot of support. We haven't had well, we have one or two instances of could pay, won't pay. If I described as that, it's not a problem we've really had to deal with. Um, you know, we 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 work with tenants. We, we've we knew it. we had to sense the outset this was going to last some time because you know the first of the shut down effectively was at the beginning of February last year in Chinatown when people suddenly stopped going to Chinese restaurants. Mm. We sensed this was going to have a quite severe knock-on event. So we wanted to preserve occupancy in the portfolio and help all those businesses. We've quite carefully chosen, you know, they don't just pitch up. We, we choose people we want to be in the village to help them get through. This is not their fault. But there's some of the things we can do to supplement what the government's done. Now there's arrears built up and you know, leases have been structured. People have been what, paying. So what bits. happens with those arrears? So where you've been deferring rents, are you going to collect them? Well, I think we're going to be pragmatic about it. There's no point in, you know, nursing somebody through for 30 months and then they, you knock them over the next day where there's a moment they open the doors. So I think we're going to be totally pragmatic about it. Uh, it's quite painful, but I think if you're in it for the long term, the best thing we can do for our business is to look forward now, keep our shops and restaurants open, the streets buzzy. Those are the streets people want to come back to. And I think as a landlord, I think you know, well, I think ten people looking for space will start to think about who their landlord is and how they behaved. And I want them to know that Shaftesbury is not a fair weather friend if there are problems like this. You know, if your business is viable, you've been straight with us, we're going to support you and help you get through whatever the next bump in the road is. And I think, again, it's that having that reputation that filters across everything we do, really. And that's why people want to come to these areas. They've got to you know, hopefully people will come because they know they've got you know, a good lineup of the right sort of tenants and it's a place you feel comfortable spending your time and money. Mm. One final question, Brian. Give us two, three things you'd like to see in the West End over the next 18 months? Three things that, that you think could help bring the West End back to life? I think there's a well, sort of overarching thing, and perhaps we're seeing this already, is a sort of all parties getting together and have a sensible conversation around not taking the West End for granted, not just assuming people are going to come back. Let's just have a sort of 
a strategic plan agreed between the various stakeholders in the West End about what we might have to deal with over the next five to 10 years. Looking beyond that, it's quite difficult. They're sort of coming together of all the parties and no political bias or anything like that. No, just being pragmatic about, you know, trying to trying to support the West End in a very different world. So I think that'd be good. And then the subsets of that are we've got to make it a good experience. So, you know, we do need to press on with things like dealing with congestion. It will be back soon enough, particularly congestion. Some of the roads are a bit narrower now because pavements have been widened. Uh, and lots of angry black cabbies. Well, there are. There were, yes, there certainly will be, and other people can't get around. And some of those bigger picture things, air, air quality issues as well, which will get going again if we don't do something about it. Um, you know, the, the climate issues haven't gone away, really. We've just forgotten about them at the moment. So I think if we want a West End that's going to be as appealing in 50 years' time as it is now, we need to be start thinking because a lot of cities are getting ahead of us. This is the concern. People don't have to come to London. Businesses don't have to be here. And I think we've got to raise our game generally. And politicians you know, do tend to be slightly more short-term, taking things for granted. And I think that's a, a trap we shouldn't fall in. You know, London will always sort itself out. Well, it might just need a bit of help now because it's got a lot of competition around the world. Brian Bickle, thank you very much for coming in, joining the uh, latest of our Bosscast episodes. Fantastic conversation. Best of luck uh, throughout the rest of the year, and and, and let's absolutely let's cut, do come back next year, and, and we can we can check in, and, and obviously may you have many 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 more joyous years left in 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 the industry. But thanks very much. Um, thank you everybody for listening. I'm Andrew Teacher at Blackstock. You can subscribe to Propcast on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all good podcast platforms. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks very much, and take care. And come back to the West End. We need your money. Ha, 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 ha.